For the last few weeks of New Reads November, we've been exploring recent YA releases, and it's been tons of fun. I look forward to New Reads November every year, but I also look forward to getting back to SSR Basics, which is what's happening on episode 172. Today, we return to Throwback Reads, in this case, The A-List. The A-List was written by Zoe Dean, published in 2003, and was the first book of a 10-book series. It also inspired a spin-off series called The A-List, Hollywood Royalty. Like so much other pop culture that came out around this time, The A-List gave readers a peek into a life of wealth, glitz, and glamour, along with some mean girl drama. Specifically, The A-List introduced readers to Anna Percy, a high-achieving high school senior who has decided to leave her comfort zone back on the Upper East Side and seek out a more exciting version of herself in Los Angeles. She doesn't have a lot of time to figure out how to reinvent herself, though, since she meets a dreamy boy named Ben Birnbaum on the literal way there. When they land, she accompanies him to a star-studded wedding, where she meets Sam, Cammie, and Dee. This is where the drama really gets going, but you'll hear more about that later on this episode. Today, my guest and I chat about the appeal of this genre, the way the A-list acknowledges privilege, the cliffhanger ending, and the nuanced father-daughter relationship that, spoiler alert, we really loved. We also discussed the book's lack of diversity and rampant slut-shaming, fat phobia, and problematic language around queerness. We try to unpack the way reinvention functions in YA books, what I believe is the demonization of ambition in young women, and the somewhat confusing point of view in the book. I also share my theory about what makes us become apologists, or not, for pop culture from days gone by. Allow me to introduce you to this week's guest. Zakia Dalila Harris spent nearly three years in editorial at Knopf Doubleday before leaving to write her New York Times best-selling debut novel, The Other Black Girl. Prior to working in publishing, Zakia received her MFA in creative writing from the New School. Her essays and book reviews have appeared in Cosmopolitan and The Rumpus, among others. She lives in Brooklyn. You can follow Zakia on Instagram at Zakia Dalila Harris and on Twitter at Zakia underscore Harris. Zakia and I chat more about this toward the end of this episode, but her book, The Other Black Girl, was actually our first ever pick in the SWR Patreon book club. So this was a really fun full circle SSR moment for me. I really enjoyed talking with Zakia and I am so grateful to her for taking the time to take a walk down Mean Girls era memory lane with me. If you would like to take a few more strolls down memory lane with SSR, there are some things you can do to help support the podcast. Leaving a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts is a great place to start. When the show gets more reviews, it gets more listeners, enabling me to get more amazing guests like Zakia. You can also support SSR by telling your friends and loved ones about it and by sharing episodes via social media. Take a screenshot of this episode wherever you're listening to it and post it to your Instagram story. Yes, you can do it right now. Don't forget to tag me at SSRpod so I can see it. Social media is such a fun way for me to get to know you, even if you choose not to share this episode there. Follow the podcast at SSRpod on Instagram and Twitter and by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community on Facebook. Speaking of community... We just kicked off a new month of throwback reading in the SSR book club. In December, the SSRBC is reading Gail Carson Levine's Ella Enchanted. I can't think of a better choice to help us wrap up the year. Join the SSRBC for free at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssrbookclub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. You can also join the Patreon family at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. There is so much happening on Patreon every week these days. Patreon parties, conversations on Discord, voting on book club picks, bonus episodes, newsletters, reading recap videos, the list goes on. I love putting together all of these goodies for my patrons, and the financial contributions I get from them are so, so appreciated. They really power the podcast. As an independent podcaster, I don't get funding from a larger organization or company. Learn more about Patreon and get in on all that exclusive content at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. As 2021 comes to a close, why not show some support for independent bookstores by shopping for audiobooks on Libro.fm? The audiobooks you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would buy from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPODCAST when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. 
That's right, we have a new code. Again, use code SSRPODCAST, not SSRPOD, to cash in on that deal. You can even gift a Libro.fm membership to your loved ones this holiday season. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Zakia. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to chat about this book today. I know we're starting our Monday morning together, which is so nice. What a way to start the week. Yes, definitely. Definitely. It's been really fun to reading, rereading the A-list, I have to say. Okay, so the A-list. We have to like, <laughs> let's talk about, oh, I have so many thoughts. Um, okay, so why did you want to read the A-list for this episode? I can't wait to hear all about your history with this book or even this series as a whole. Yeah, so full disclaimer, when I first, you know, heard about uh, being invited to this podcast, my first thought was the Click series. <laughs> but then, of course, I did some research. And of course, other people had also picked that book, which was a huge part of my youth. I remember collecting all those books. Then I was thinking back about other similar books, because in hindsight, I was clearly into that kind of storytelling. I mean, I was also into like horror, but I was really into like the like mean girl kind of world. And so I remembered the A-list. And I should also add that when I went home this past weekend, my dad was going through books and had a big box of my old books at home. And I found my copy of the A-list. Oh so, my gosh. Yes, I clearly, and I had like multiple, I think I had the first half of the entire series. So yeah, big fan. Okay. I love that. I love that you have your original copy with you. <laughs> I feel like we're channeling your teenage self. Yes. Do you remember like about how old you were when you read it? Or like, do you have any like specific memories of like what you enjoyed about it? Other than like the glamour and the glitz, which I mean, how can you resist? Yes. I can't remember how old I was. I was actually surprised to see that they came out in 2003. I was 11 then. So I definitely was not reading the A-list then. But I want to say early high school, maybe like a few years later, like when I was 15. And I believe when one of my best friends, and actually I should have asked her when I saw her recently, um, but my best friend, I believe, recommended these books to me or said like, oh, these books are fun. And I'm pretty sure that's how I got into them. And yeah, I mean, the glitz and the glamour was a big part of it for me. But rereading it, I was really taken by... I mean, I, I find the writing pretty good. Like I actually was like enjoying the writing and, and I was reading it on my Libby app, I have to say. So plug for the Libby app before I found my old copy. And I was like waking up and reading it and found myself like not wanting to stop <laughs> because I couldn't remember how it ended. And I actually really appreciated that it ended in a place I did not expect it to end in. I love to hear that. And I do think the writing was surprisingly good. Like I too was struck by that. So I never read the A-list when I was a kid. Um, I also hadn't read the Click series at all until I started the podcast. And so we've done, I believe, two episodes about the Click at this point. So I'm sort of getting caught up there. But the only series of this sort of like genre specific category that I read when I was actually a teen was Gossip Girl. And so that was kind of my reference point for this world. Did mm -hmm. you read Gossip Girl when you were growing up too? You know, I tried. I remember trying to read Gossip Girl and for whatever reason, those books didn't really take with me. Okay. See, this is so interesting because I ran a poll on Instagram a few days ago when I was reading the A-list mm -hmm. because I have a theory. Yes. Oh, I love this. So here's my theory. So I have now reread maybe three Gossip Girl books for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And when I read them, I know that they're super problematic. Yes. <laughs> and, and unsettling. And yet, because I read them when I was a teenager, and they have this soft spot in my heart, I'm like, no, they have all of these like redemptive qualities. Mm -hmm. So I think because I have this like 
cozy memory of them, even though cozy feels like a weird word to just to assign to gossip world, I defend them mentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. Right. So when I read a book like The A-List, which I think we can agree probably shares some of the similar problems oh, yes. of Gossip Girl, which we'll talk about more. Because I don't have that nostalgia factor, it's harder for me to to look past those qualities. And I, totally. I ran a poll because I was like, were more people into Gossip Girl in this community? Were more people into the A-list? And the A-list actually won out, not by much. Wow. Yeah, but the A-list had the majority. And I wonder if it's because, like, I grew up on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Which I believe you did too, right? I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, which I feel like is partly why I found, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I found this East Coaster going into the California True. world very fascinating. Not that I grew up in like upper crust part of East Coast, but I still could see that. I mean, I was in LA recently a few weeks ago for my first time, and I I could see it. Like I could see yeah. those, those bits of like, wow, what a weird place this is. Yeah. And I should have dug into the poll more and maybe I will at some point, but I'm like, was I more of a Gossip Girl reader because I understood the reference points more mm-hmm. or maybe it was the date. So Gossip Girl started in 2002. And like you said, the A-list came out in 2003. So mm-hmm. I wonder if I, by the time the A-list came out, I was like kind of over it. Yeah. I don't know, but I just, I was thinking a lot as I was reading this because I did struggle a little bit. Like I struggled to keep the characters straight. Totally. I found it unsettling as I do Gossip Girl now as well. But like, it was just harder for me to like become settled. No, I, <laughs> I, I completely hear you. Like I'm the same way with other things. And and yeah, I, the click too, I have this warmth toward it because I remember again, like collecting all of those different plaid covers and like, right. but now like I, I was listening to that, your, one of your conversations on the click, which was so good. And I was just like, oh yeah, wow. <laughs> There's a lot going on. It hurts your heart a little bit, but let's get yeah. into it. So yeah. the A-list came out in 2003 Um, You know, as like a Gossip Girl apologist at this point in my life, I can't help but be like, it seems quite similar to Gossip Girl, doesn't it? This is just Gossip Girl on the West Coast. And Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not making any accusations. But I do think it's clear, like at this time, like there was a huge call for this kind of pop culture. This was the era of Mean Girls, The Click, The A-List, Gossip Girl. It all kind of came out around the same time. I think I would even list The O.C., another one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Laguna, like all of these. Yeah, all of these franchises that featured wealthy, arguably mean girls Mm -hmm. came out around the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, wealthy and I would add white white women (laughs) or young women. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, no diversity in any of these properties. Yeah, although, you know, what's, what's interesting with this one that I was thinking about because I... I'm so used to talking about diversity and race and all of those things in literature. And when I was looking at, I mean, this is a tangent in a tangent, but when I was looking at all of my books that I was reading as a young person when I was home, I was like, wow, there are so many (laughs) books that are mostly written about white characters with money. And and those are all the things I was really reading, but I was mostly raised around white people. So it's like unclear how much of that is like, I mean, clearly publishing like has had a problem with diversity and publishing diverse young people's stories. But it was really interesting looking back at that. But while reading this book, there is still kind of an awareness in some places of the privilege Mm -hmm, that I do wonder, I mean, having not read Gossip Girl, if there is that kind of, I mean, I don't know if it's awareness, though, but it's definitely an acknowledgement and brief moments that I was surprised to find. I think there's a men- re- reference to like, or one of the students at the rich school mentions like the kids in South Central not having the same stuff that they have. And I was like, oh, wow, like that's an interesting thing to, to make a point of. Yeah, and Anna and Ben actually do have an explicit conversation where they're kind of like joking about how they know how privileged they are. So mm-hmm. in, in that moment, the series does become self-aware. I think I'm trying to think how that compares to Gossip Girl. I think what's different about Gossip Girl is that one of the main characters, two of the main characters really are relatively not wealthy. I mean, again, they're like, they're living in New York and they're doing pretty well. The Humphreys, the Humphreys, um, right. the Humphreys are not are not sort of part of this high-flying Upper East Side 
crowd. And I know in the A-list, there's this character, Adam, who is like not quite as wealthy. And then there's like Monty and Parker, who are also not as wealthy. But at least in this installment, maybe we get more of them later. In this book, at least, I feel like we didn't get as much of them as we get of the Humphreys in Gossip Girl. Yeah. And full disclaimer, I saw the entire OG Gossip Girl. So I know the characters. Well right, 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 right. And the, this is something that I meant to go back to before we started talking, but I never had a chance to. Uh, Anna's driver is a black man, right? Like it's never, I feel like it's not so. explicitly said, but like yeah. their converse, their, I, I remember reading that as a young person and just like thinking that was so interesting too, that she was having this conversation with her driver. And I believe her driver, yeah, I think he's like a jazz musician at one point. And I think he comes back later on in the series, but I could be wrong. So that's another interesting class kind of conversation too. Yeah, they talk about music. Yeah. Yeah, I think he might be Black, although it's not stated. So I thought that was notable as well. Very notable. Very notable. But let's talk about Anna. Before we like talk (laughs) about all these other people who I found very confusing, Anna is at the heart of this story. Anna, I would say, is like the Blair Waldorf equivalent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She is, as we mentioned, she's white, she's rich, she lives on the Upper East Side, and she is tired of being in her comfort zone. And we meet her in this prologue where she's talking about her best friend, Cynthia, who is, and I keep making these Gossip Girl references, but that's only because that's that's where I'm drawing my parallels from. Mm-hmm. So her best friend, Cynthia, is kind of like a, a, a Serena Vanderwoodson equivalent. Yes. yes. Anna is like questioning everything about herself in the prologue. She There's this boy, Scott, who she has a crush on, who is clearly not interested in her, who Cynthia is now interested in, and that seems to be like going well. And I pulled out this one quote that was one of many that made me just feel really bummed for Anna. The book says, maybe the reason Scott thought Sin was sexy, but didn't think Anna was sexy was that Anna didn't think of herself as sexy. Certainly the reason she didn't have wild and crazy adventures in life was that she never opened herself up to them. The horrible truth was that at not quite 18 years of age, Anna had yet to step outside the box. Her life was boring and predictable, and it was her own fault. Uh, That last line comes later, but it's sort of in the same vein. Um, What do you think about this setup? I mean, I find it, and I think this is something, you know, I'm not sure if I'm looking at this with present day eyes or past day eyes, but I honestly found it pretty relatable. (laughs) Um, I found it really Again, an interesting kind of device that we're right. We have the, we're used to these worlds where everyone is rich and for the most part confident. I mean, I can't remember again, Gossip Girl, the books of how much like Serena and Blair, like what we saw interior wise was like self deprecating. Um, I only know what the shows said, but like having Anna being not confident and set up in this way was a very interesting way for me to. I mean, immediately, as someone who wasn't confident as a 17-year-old, I could see myself in. But then it's interesting that she's, like, classically beautiful and and is actually all the... Like, it, it is that trope of, like, oh, she doesn't even know how beautiful she is kind of thing, which, like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. The fact that, like, she is actually this, like, knockout that everyone else sees. But, like, that's how life works, right? Like, we never know what the person's feeling on the inside. Yeah, I don't know. I would agree with that. I mean, I was not confident as a 17-year-old, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I went away to um, like a literal journalism camp before my senior year of high school. That's so and cool. And that's where I found my footing. Like I, yeah. I came back from that camp very confident, and I don't know if it's because I was sort of among my people, and I, I found myself able to like pull out parts of my personality that I hadn't been comfortable exposing back home. And I think part of it was like getting out of my physical space. Like I yeah. went to... Chicago for the summer. And it was a smaller sort of cohort of students. I think I had the first chance in like my first 17 years of life or whatever during that time to like, be like, I'm smart. Yes, but I'm also these other things. Like I think I'd gotten very used to being like this smart kind of predictable kid back home. And it was it was my chance when I went off to journalism camp to really show just how cool I could be. Totally, totally. And yeah, like leaving your leaving the idea of leaving a place and being able to reinvent yourself is is Mm -hmm. such a I I think it's a great literary device and also 
so real. Like I, I can relate to that too, of going to college down South where I didn't know anybody and just started over as a person from Connecticut. And, and it definitely forced me to like relearn my position in the world. And, and I mean, I won't say I did what Anna did <laughs> at all. I don't think anybody's done what Anna did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like the notion of reinvention as a premise for a book. I think, especially in a YA book, that's fundamentally always going to be a coming of age narrative to a certain point. It works really well. I think mm-hmm. that there's some humor in reading that, that section that I shared um, as an adult, because it's like, oh, like everybody thinks she's sexy and like, I'm not sexy. And just this, I remember feeling that way when I was a 17 year old too, where I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, who's, what does sexy mean? Like who's sexy? Like what is sexiness? I don't know what any of it is. I still don't know that I know what any of it is at 31, but uh, I think it's just the, the sort of fixation on it and, and what sexiness means separate from other qualities that maybe you've been able to understand prior. Just so it's real. I mean, just kind of wrestling with these concepts when you're in high school, that very much happens. Totally. Right. Like I, I haven't, I hadn't thought about it that way, but Rereading this book like is really putting me back into my young self and trying to remember how concerned I was with that. And like I was like I was watching all of these shows on MTV. Like I was constantly thinking about being sexy and and being attractive and and people being in relationships and me not being in relationships like in high school. And now it's like my view of all of those things obviously very different and and what makes me happy and makes me feel confident is very different than what it was as a young person and I think as a young person you expect those things to matter for the rest of your life and they change obviously like we grow hopefully hopefully that's not always what matters (laughs) hopefully we're on a journey yes I think the flip side of this whole thing with Anna reinventing herself that I wanted to talk about is something that I've struggled with, not only in the A-list and a lot of other books that I've read for the podcast. And, and I see it on TV as well. I've been watching a lot of cheesy uh, holiday movies lately because oh, just I the season. Them. Of course. And I'm not proud of it, but I'm very into it. And I, I was noticing it even in these cheesy holiday movies. And the best way I can describe it is as sort of the villainization of the quote, like, good girl. Yeah. And I think it has come up in previous conversations about Gossip Girl with respect Mm. to Blair and how we see in those books that, like, oh, Blair is so boring and uncool compared to Serena because she cares about grades and going to Yale is important to her. Right. And I think we see it again in the A-list, but it's interesting because in this case, Anna is sort of the one turning against herself as the good girl. Like nobody else is telling her that that's uncool. If anything, it actually seems like Ben, who is the love interest, is into the fact that she's yeah maybe a little bit smarter and a little bit more grounded than a lot of the people that he knows in LA. Mm-hmm. But she is like finding herself like intolerable to be around almost. Like she's sick of herself being in her comfort zone. And I think that there's always room for reinvention and for like exploration of self. But I guess it does make me sad that this is a trope in books that like being a driven, ambitious, smart girl is wrong or bad or boring or unattractive. And I think introducing like the facets of like class and race on top of that is really interesting because it's like Anna's like a white rich girl. And so like she can be that way without I don't know there's just something about there's something in this mix that I'm uncomfortable with Mm, yeah I I wonder if that has to do with the fact that well it's interesting I haven't I'm not sure if I'm bothered by that as much but I do think it's interesting that like at the very end I mean I don't want to move too far ahead to the end go for it you can it's okay the way that she deals with the Ben situation is really fascinating. Whereas she could be like shutting down the Ben relationship in a sense of like being like, you know what? I took a chance. Like I should just be boring and just be myself again and like lean into just this world that I'm living in and and make it through Beverly Hills High School. But instead, it, I definitely get the sense of like, like I hear rock music at the very end where she's like throwing a phone in the trash can and now she's going to just be like kind of a wild child is like yeah. the, the sense that I get. And so I found that to be an interesting twist rather than her ending up with Ben. So I kind of found, I think because of the way, I'm not sure if this is, this all made sense in my head, but I'm not sure if I'm expressing it the right way. But because of the way that 
this story really ends with her not getting the guy. I And that I feel like is the more conventional way for it to end. I, I kind of forgave that part of it, of the her, you know, being this nice girl and she hates being this nice girl. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I, I see what you mean. And I also think that the fact that, right, like she like hooks up with him on a plane and also... Yeah, she hooks up with him on a plane in the beginning of the book and she's like, oh no, like I'm no longer, like she's constantly like, she she's being one thing and she's being the other thing and she can't hold both ideas in her head at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, being like I can hook up with this guy, but I can still be a really smart, funny, educated person. But I guess that's also something young people don't really, I don't know, I don't mean to say like young people don't do, but like. No, I hear you. I think it feels very binary when you're in it. Like you're either a cool girl who is like, hanging out with with other hat people or you're smart Mm -hmm. like I do think that when you're in it it doesn't necessarily feel like there's a lot of room to be somewhere in the middle I just think it's like and I guess when you sort of remove factors of like financial insecurity and everybody's rich and wealthy it just it's like I guess everybody can kind of afford to be carefree like everybody can afford to like not worry and I think that's what's interesting here is a lot of teenagers for all kinds of reasons don't have that luxury to be like, I actually am very driven and ambitious and focused, but like, that's not cool. So I don't want to be because right. the end result isn't necessarily going to be the same for them. Right, right. And then also just, you know, selfishly as a person who was like a very driven, ambitious, focused, probably like grading teenager, I'm like, hey, like, don't be mean to her. Like, <laughs> like to yourself, like, these are actually really good qualities. So I just think it's something and my friends and I joke about these cheesy holiday movies. And you know, it's like, these women like turn in their big city jobs to like move to a small town to like help a struggling candy factory or whatever and those are <laughs> great stories yes. but like why is it so wrong for her to enjoy her career in the big city so I just I think it's worth thinking about how these patterns play out in different right. variations and all kinds of pop culture and I saw it in in Anna and the A-list and there are parts of it that I found entertaining and parts of it that just made me sad yeah yeah right like I am trying to think of an and a different kind of plot where it's like for a Christmas movie specifically, because I love those two, where it's like, oh no, I just I need to be more ambitious in order yeah. to <laughs> right. It's like just, I just need to dumb myself down. <laughs> right. Like how do we flip it around? But anyway, Anna does meet Ben on the plane to LA because she decides that she's getting out of her comfort zone. She's gonna be a little wilder. Somehow I guess she's like basically already done with school. And so she can like finish out her senior year yeah. having an internship in LA that her dad lines up for her. <laughs> yeah, cool. that part was like never really I mean it's kind of explored but like yeah didn't quite understand how that all worked out but suspension of (laughs) yeah I bought it I actually like I wasn't it was fine I was able to suspend my disbelief on that one I was like I do feel like in these circles these things probably happen that's true especially because she's in private school Mm -hmm. the connectedness quite frankly the thing that was harder for me to believe was that at the end of the book all of these kids go to public school like that was way harder for me yeah. to like, they don't go to public school. These kids all go to a private school. <laughs> Come on. Well, the thing I was thinking though, as someone who was really into Beverly Hills 90210 at a one point in her life, was that if this is that same high school, like that kind of checks out. Like okay. uh, yeah. So but I can see that. I can see that too completely. Yeah, that was harder for me to believe than the fact that Anna was going to go and like finish out her senior year working at a literary agency. But she does make that decision. She is flying out to to see her dad and to move to L.A. on New Year's Eve. And the majority of the book is told in these chapters that are noted with the time time stamped. What do you think about that? Do you enjoy books that are told in these condensed timelines? Because it's effectively told within like a 24 to 36 hour period um, between New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And we know exactly what time everything is happening. Do you tend to like stories like that? It's so funny because (laughs) not to mention the other black girl, but I also have date stamps, not time stamps. Yeah, you do. Which like, it's a long story of why I did it, but like I have people ask me that all the time about like why I did that and and I do, I do appreciate the the timestamps. I mean, I didn't pay as much attention to them because this book just had so much media seat in me already that like it didn't really matter to me how quickly things were happening, but it does add a level of like you know, every moment and timing of when this was said, when this is happening, how Anna is feeling emotionally here versus here, to me, kind of elevated the stakes a little bit more. 
Yeah, I like I thought it was helpful. Although like you, I didn't find myself constantly checking them. Yeah. Incidentally, I did find the the dates in the other black girl really helpful. I did look <laughs> oh, at them. Good. Thank you. <laughs> but I didn't feel yeah, I mean, I for whatever reason, I wasn't checking them so much with the A list. Yeah, it almost seemed more just like a stylistic choice. Like somebody at the publishing house was like, wouldn't it be cool if like we right. had like random times? Right? Well, it's also like, it kind of reminds me of like internet. I mean, it's 2003, so internet culture is very different. But it also yeah. gives me that kind of like, oh, the gossip blogs. Like, I don't know, like that. That too, like this feeling of being connected to the moment. Yeah, I feel like YA books at this time too were very reliant on like unique formatting choices. Um, totally. Like a lot of there were a lot of like letters in yes. YA books or email. Do you remember that series? Yeah, I do. So I think like having these timestamps maybe made it like a little bit trendier and a little bit different. But Anna is on the plane to LA. She's sitting next to this like horrible man who we unfortunately have to meet again later in the book. And this strapping young man saves her from the situation um, and kind of like intercedes so that she doesn't have to talk to her seat neighbor anymore. And it's like, oh, right, like we know each other, they're together, and sort of classic creates a situation. It's a classic, classic <laughs> creates a situation where Anna doesn't have to deal with this creepy seat neighbor anymore. What were your first impressions of Ben, our love interest? Uh, ben Birnbaum. Ben Birnbaum. Um, you know, I found Ben overall to be the least interesting character in this yeah. book, to be honest with you. I can kind of appreciate what he represents. Like, we don't see him, thankfully, a lot in this book, which is an interesting choice, too. But in the moment, I was like, you know what? Like... I like I like this for Anna. She needs to like get out of her. We just had that prologue mentions like she needs to get out of her comfort zone. This guy also just feels so freaking real, like the the mean kind of gross guy that you get stuck to next to on a plane. And so for him to save her in this way, I was like, you know, this is this is classic. I've seen this before, but like ultimately I'm okay with this. And and the fact that they then go to a wedding after that even upped my like this is like a fun progression to happen yeah because being invited to a wedding feels so grown up so grown up oh my god it's when I was reading this I, was, I had never been to a wedding and that wedding oh my god <laughs> yeah I mean and we're recording this days after Paris Hilton's star-studded yes. nuptials so I was, while I was reading this, I like, that was what I was thinking about. I was imagining it being this like huge affair, um, sort of similar to the Paris Hilton wedding. Yeah. But the thing that I was like, I was a little interested in too while reading was like, I feel like I, I don't know you that well, but I feel like most people, like we would go into this wedding being like, what the heck? Like what, this is ridiculous. Like, right. this, like mind being blown. Yeah. And I mean, I guess Anna has money and she's sort of used to this world, I guess. But I kind of would have appreciated a little more like, this is ridiculous. You know, like, yeah, there are so many famous people here. But again, I guess Anna is, too, is already connected enough that that wouldn't be a response. But I, I would have loved a little more. A little bit more like, oh, wow, this is this is so different than what I'm used to. I think even like we do get a lot of like L.A. versus NYC throughout yes. this book where yes. Anne is making observations. But for some reason, I feel like we didn't get that when she was going to the wedding. Yeah. Because even if Anna is like wealthy and, and well connected in New York, this is still a much different event than anything she would have gone to in New York. Totally. I mean, especially if she's like into the literary circles, it's like this is like people that you see on TV all the time. Yeah. But I, I still loved, I loved that whole entire wedding scene. It was yeah. so over the top. So over the top. Yeah. So like Ben invites her to go. They almost have sex in the bathroom on the plane. And then they don't because her creepy seat neighbor reports yes. them to a flight <laughs> attendant, which I was, I was happy about for everybody involved. She Me needed too. to take a minute. She just like needed yes. to have a breath. That was not the right moment for that no. to happen for her. I don't think. But Ben also invites her to this wedding, and it's the wedding of Jackson Sharp, who is, like, <laughs> number one movie star. I was trying to think of, like, who his real-world counterpart might be. It seems like he's sort of, like, an action movie star. I was thinking, like, uh, uh, who's the guy who was in all the, like, Jack Reacher movies? I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Um, Tom Cruise? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is oh, that okay. Or no, maybe. maybe. Is that too generous? What were you thinking? No, I don't. I mean... 
a lot has a lot of weird stuff has been coming out about Chris Pratt recently, but I was like um, maybe Chris Pratt ish, but older than Chris Pratt. Older than, yeah, I was getting like yeah, I don't know. There's so yeah. many choices. Yeah, yeah. So it's Jackson Sharp's wedding. He's marrying a woman who's much younger than he is, which only matters because we're also now getting some of the story through the eyes of his daughter, Samantha, AKA Sam, who is very distressed about this whole situation. Yes. Um, because not only is his, is her father marrying a woman who is much younger, but she is also pregnant. And this is all very disturbing for Sam. Let's talk a little bit about Sam. Oh boy. Sam was really hard for me to Sam's read. Sam's really hard. Sam's really hard. Completely agree. And Dee and Cammy, all of them are, so hard. And this makes me think too, I don't mean to turn the questions on you, but no, the, the perspective was really interesting, especially in this, the wedding scene, because I noticed it's like close, like third person close on different characters in the same chapter in some moments. And it's like, suddenly we're in, we're in Ben's head for a minute and then we're in camp, like, which I don't know how I felt about it. I understood it though, but, but yeah, Sam and Obviously, the fat shaming in this book. That's the thing that I bookmarked. The fat shaming and, like, comments on gayness and gay people were just very of that moment and brought me back to how much we normalized characters, like, not characters like Sam, but normalized the way that people wrote and talked about characters like Sam, if that makes sense. Totally. And I, I have so much to say in response. You're giving me so much good. <laughs> the perspective is really interesting and confusing. And it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I know you did the MFA thing and I'm mm -hmm. doing the MFA thing currently. I'm in my second year and I'm working on, I don't know if you had to do like a comp exam or an equivalent where you basically have to like, I have to pull three to five texts that relate to my thesis and other things that I am trying to work on and talk about how those three to five texts speak to something that I want to work on craft wise. Mm. And my comp exam is about rotating perspectives most frequently in the, in the close third person, because my thesis, my work in progress is a novel written in rotating close third person perspective. And I think I said all that right. Amazing. So I've been thinking a lot about this and and I think it can work really well. And I know that because I've just spent all this time pulling like some of my favorite novels that I can use as examples in this paper. But it was interesting because it switches mid chapter. And that's wow. such like a, that's such a, it's it a no, like, no. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's so easy. Why can't you just start a new chapter? I have no problem at all with a rotating third person close perspective. I think it works. I do it in my own writing, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but just like start a new chapter. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I And I remember having to go back, like I, I would go back and I was like, wait, why? And the only thing I can think of is like the fact that, I mean, they're all together in this moment. At least I believe it was like during like, I don't know why I remember this, but I think it was when Cammy first meets Anna and like, I think Ben calls her like walking sex. I could be combining a bunch of things. As one does. But yeah, it was it was really interesting it's going back to Sam. I, I feel like I even highlighted a few passages about with her and them. Um, yeah. But it just like immediately, all I could see about, all I can tell you about her character is that she feels really uncomfortable with her weight and her size. Um, and then she's also like, in love with Ben. And I didn't feel like she had, I feel like Cammy and Dee were a little more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Like there was a little bit of humanizing for Cammy that happened later on in the book. And Dee is just, I can't remember like <laughs> the bomb Dee drops. Like I don't remember how that plays out in the second book, but she's just, I don't know. There's a lot going on with her, but there's something about Sam that I just could not I could not gauge who she was and I could not stop thinking about just the the fat shaming not only by herself which is not fat shaming at all it's it's definitely goes deeper than that but but the other characters and how they talk about Sam was really mm -hmm. hard for me to to think about and I was like am I just thinking about this because it's like a different era obviously positively I think the way we're talking about Wade and and should I allow these characters to be this way because this is just how it is like we're in their head this is the time period I don't know I it's 
It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, therein lies one of the biggest challenges of this podcast is right. like, how much do you quote allow? Um, and how much do we sort of go in on a little bit more? Um, I think what I struggled with with Sam and Dee and Cami was that I think while they each had pretty like individual unique concerns, their personalities sort of yeah. ran together for me. Totally. And I was having some trouble staying focused while I was reading the book once we got into the section where we're just kind of like bouncing back and forth between D and Sam and Cami. And I think part of it is these like rotating perspectives that are not necessarily easy. Yes. Like marked in a way that makes them easy to to digest. But also like I just don't think that at this point they have super clear personalities. I mean like you mentioned Cami is is humanized later in the book because we find out that her mother passed away. And we get a scene of her like visiting her mom in the cemetery. Slash was maybe murdered by her dad. <laughs> right. Slash was maybe, maybe murdered by Not her dad. Me. Like no big deal. Um, and then D is like the spiritual friend, which I did think was funny, like in this era that we are now in of like, mm -hmm. you know, Instagram, like new mm -hmm. age influencers. And then you refer to this bomb that she drops, which is that she and Ben slept together when she was visiting Princeton and she's now pregnant. And Sam has all of these very specific concerns about her weight and her image. But beyond that, like their personalities and the way they speak, it was very similar. So I was having a lot of trouble keeping them straight. Totally. But Sam was really like, I, I pulled out a couple of quotes as well from her. This is something that we talk about a lot on the show, just because I think it bothers everybody. And because of my own history of like body dysmorphia and disordered mm -hmm. eating, like it really is upsetting. One of the lines that I pulled out was, so she's talking to her friends about like what she's going to wear to her father's wedding. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. very stressful. She doesn't know what she's going to wear. And she says, so I can't wear a 10. What if someone found out? Yes. Yeah. I mean, what message is that sending? And not to say that every YA book or any book period has to like have a message or like a moral or, and not to say that every character has to be morally like quote correct. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there's nobody saying to her, there's no foil for that right. kind of behavior. Nobody's saying to her like, oh no, wait, like that's not the right way to be thinking about this. You can be beautiful at any size. Like how do we, and body neutrality was like not something that right. we were approaching in 2003, but I do think there could have been a character who was talking to her about not thinking this way about herself. There's nobody kind of presenting an alternate viewpoint. And I think that's what's hard. Yeah, totally, totally. And like I was thinking, and I totally agree. And I'm like, okay, so what would be the next best thing to having a character? Because I'm like, in this world, I can't see there. I, I, I believed that there would be nobody telling her this, like mm -hmm. specifically. But I think in that case, it's like, there are other ways that you can counteract that. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, maybe Sam has these other moments of, I don't know, kind of self-reflection that are not in that way, but maybe show us that she is deeper than appearances. Maybe there, I mean, I think this also gets into perspective. I think if the the narrator or if the voice were a little more complex, where we had those tiny glimpses of like, just that comment or not at the ridiculousness of that statement. I, I don't know how to, I don't know how it could be done, but there, there are subtle ways too that, that they could keep the realisticness of this like very, I mean, I don't mean to generalize all of LA, but very like self-centered, conceited, all about looks world by showing like, like undermining it in other ways. Yeah. And that, uh, although I do agree, I think there should have been, there literally, literally should have been a character, but I'm just trying to think if, you know, if there are another way to do it too, because it's, it's, it's not that hard, but I think that like, it might, I, I think young readers and readers might not want it to be as didactic, but that's also what young readers need. I don't know. I'm not a, I don't read as much YA as I, <laughs> I don't I don't either outside of the podcast. So I don't really know. I also think it just took up a lot of page space. I it mean, took even up if so much page space. So much page that's space. The, like Yeah, that's the thing. It really yeah. did not need to. Yeah, it definitely did not need to. And even D, I mean, I think I marked a specific page where like Anna had just thrown up. Oh yeah. And I had just thrown up again on Sam later so on in the book. I felt so bad for her. And I know, me too. That yogurt. And Dee is like, 
I had some yoga pants in the back of my car, so Sam changed into those, but they're an extra small, so they were really, really tight on her, which wasn't very attractive, and I felt so bad for her, you know? And it's like, that's not even funny. Like, and that's the thing is, like, I think there are a lot of little snippets here related to weight and also to gayness and uh, that are supposed to be funny, but are actually just now reading them are, like, really catty or really, like, unnecessary or just all cringe. I would echo your comment as well about the language around queerness. Like there were yeah. a lot of just sort of like offhand comments yeah. about like, it, especially when they go shopping. So Anna and and Ben end up going shopping at like a sex Oh store my God, yeah. It was the other Black character in this book. Oh yeah, that's right. That's true. And there's a lot of of comments and I, I didn't bother to write any of them down because I didn't want to and I didn't want to reshare them and give them more life on the podcast but there were just a lot of like throwaway comments made by several of the characters and even from like the narrative voice about like queerness and like what queer people do and like what they wear and what they look like and those are things that I think thankfully we've moved past in 2021 but I did notice them I think the other thing that I picked up on in terms of like problematic theme lots of slut shaming yes in this book especially like Sam and Cammy they're sort of like go-to way to talk about Anna so that they don't feel bad that Ben is interested in her is by calling her a slut calling her a whore yes Yes. assuming that like the only reason that Ben could possibly be interested in her is because she's sleeping with him right um and obviously if she were to choose to do that that would be fine but I think like for anybody to be like using that as an insult and as a cause for shame is just clearly not appropriate yeah yeah totally I mean that also brought me back to like the mean girls era totally yeah when that word was I mean it's there's still so much to it now but it it just was that go-to insult for any woman it's it is wild how much has changed (laughs) but still hasn't changed yeah um, in a lot of ways so one relationship that we haven't touched on yet that I wanted to make sure we spoke to a bit before we wind down this conversation mm-hmm. is the one between Anna and her dad. Yeah. Which I I think might have been the most nuanced and possibly my favorite in yeah. the book because when Anna arrives in LA, her dad is extremely MIA. He doesn't come to the airport to pick her up. She's not sure where he is. She assumes that he's working, but it turns out that he's like hanging out in their gazebo smoking weed. <laughs> And it's, it's also so interesting, I think, like, the way that, like, weed is talked about in this book, like, relative so to the way we talk about it in 2021. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, like, so scandalous in this book, whereas now it's, it's obviously much more, it's much more part of mainstream conversation in 2021. Yes. So he's, he's being super weird, and it's upsetting to her. And when she comes home after having, like, a really difficult night with Ben, she's angry. She, like, doesn't understand why her dad can't be available to her to talk to. And she's feeling really alone and basically, like, why did I move here to be with you if you're just going to be smoking weed and these other people are going to be terrible to me? Right. But they have a really honest conversation. and. Mm. Listeners know how much I love a fallible parent in a YA book. I love an imperfect adult in any pop culture or media meant for teens. And I love that she has like a very to the point conversation with her dad where she's like, I don't like the way you've been acting. And he says to her, like, I understand that. But I also have not had you around for so long. And I'm sorry, but I messed up. Like, I don't know how to do this. Yes. And they have a really frank and and I would say unusually so conversation about like what their relationship is going to look like in this next chapter and I Mm -hmm. really loved that like I feel like they're going to be able to move forward and you probably know this because you read the other books like I feel like they're going to be able to move forward and hopefully build a really healthy relationship that's much better than the relationship that Anna has with her mom yeah I had completely forgotten about the dad storyline in this book and It was so, um, I'm very lucky that I never, I've never had this kind of experience with a parent, but I was same. I was taken with it, um, especially, and I feel like it's important to add that, the fact that she clearly doesn't have a great relationship with her mom, but then also her sisters in rehab too, which was like another thing. Although we do see that in Gossip Girl, at least in the show with uh, Serena's little brother, but it was just an interesting thing of seeing like this privileged person who has a lot of money and and cultural smarts and and all of those things but her family unit is completely cracked and yeah I found that really endearing and also like as a person who is not sure about children sometimes I'm really sure yes and sometimes I'm like I'm not ready for that to hear a father in this book be like 
I was like, I'm not ready. I wasn't ready to pick you up from the station. Like I wasn't ready to see you because this has not been my life. That's like a really, yeah, humanizing and realistic moment. Yeah, I loved that. I would be curious to know more about their relationship. So Zakia, you kind of referred to the ending a little bit. And I, I want to I wanna go there a little bit more before we move on to book recommendations. Yes. It is an interesting ending. Um, we won't go through all the details, but basically Anna has like a lot of ups and downs with Ben. He ditches her, leaves her alone on New Year's. It's pretty dark and upsetting and she doesn't know why. And he tries to come back later on, like after she settled in at Beverly Hills High. What did you think about the ending overall? We touched on it, but I'd love to hear more. Yeah, I really appreciated it. I think for a few reasons. I think I mentioned this earlier, but like the whole, oh, now she's at this school that she she knows, I mean, she knows people at, but like she's essentially like an entire, entire newbie at this Beverly Hills High School. Now she has to like navigate the entire pecking order and whatnot. That's usually how a book begins. So to start this year, to end the book with that kind of moment where like now she's a fish out of water again, but in in school setting is, I think is really fascinating. And then also the fact that like, right, Ben comes back and then she has this like Cammy moment of like, Kimmy's like, you better watch your back. And I think it's like a very effective way to end the first book in a series because like now I wish I had brought the other books back with me from yeah. from home and I might even like dip into them every now and then because I, I can't recall how it plays out with her dad and with Ben. There's also an interesting moment before that ending that I kept hoping would come up again where was it Adam? No, no, no. Or Monty. I can't remember which guy it was because I got a lot of them confused as well. Yeah. But one of them's like, you should know something about Ben. Parker. 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 Who I liked. I was like, well, I thought she was going to be with Parker more. I was into him. I think this becomes a thing later on of like Parker versus Ben, I believe. I could be wrong though. But like that moment, I kept hoping we would get to hear. And it's like, I don't think it was what Parker was trying to tell her. I don't think it was the thing that Ben tells her of like, oh, I know this drug addicted actress and I had to help her that's why I left you stranded on a boat on New Year's Day but like I think there's a lot of questions coming up in that ending that yeah make me want to read keep reading the series um and it's it felt very unconventional to me and the fact that like it really can't stand alone like I mean it it it, you really feel like you need to keep reading to hear what happens to Anna at least that's how I felt I might be being too generous though (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I, and I also think you mentioned this earlier, but like when she drops her phone and walks yes. away from the event situation, like you can hear the music in your head. You mm-hmm. see that she's she's moving on to a new chapter. I liked that because I felt like to that point, her entire existence in LA had been tied up in Ben. Like yes. she thought she had fallen in love with him on her literal flight there. Yes. And so yes. like most of the book were hanging out with her and hanging out in her head as she like parses what's going on with Ben. Like, mm-hmm. where's Ben? What's mm-hmm. Ben doing? Is Ben mad at me? Is, is Ben a good guy? Is Ben a bad guy? Mm-hmm. And it was really great to see her like literally walk away from that situation. Yes. And I think you're right. Like it makes you wonder what's going to happen next in the series. On the whole, I would love to hear about how your experience reading this book as an adult compares to your memories of it when you were a kid. I think for me, reading it now is like, well, I I mentioned earlier I'd been in LA for like my first time a few weeks ago, or maybe it's two months ago now. And I think though, like reading it now, it definitely feels like not as much escapism as it did as a young person growing up in Connecticut, because like, again, I wasn't dating a bunch of people. I wasn't rich. I wasn't popular or whatever. But I also didn't know who I was yet, though. So I was like very much taken with this world of these women. And and I think I, I know I definitely thought this was real life for people. And I it possibly was. And I guess Laguna Beach is taught us that but (laughs) now I'm kind of like I was really turning the pages I was really enjoying it but I think because it's so over the top and so ridiculous and so just like has all of those things that I enjoyed about those books from that time period but also I don't know I felt like it did it in a different way and I am you know very much taken by Anna as a protagonist and she's got there are problems with her but I also don't think she is the least likable character that it, 
from this time period. Oh, yeah. Not by a long shot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, just like really looking at the books again at home, like these covers were, I was really into these covers, like this idea of this clean, I don't know what font that is, but I was really into the font and like this, these photos that were put onto artwork. Like it's just like a very cool thing about it too that I still appreciate now. Yeah, you're like sending a sending a photo of it to your cover designer for your <laughs> yes. as well. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, why are we in LA for this book? I thought it was supposed to take place somewhere else. Like, oh, I just got some inspiration. <laughs> like, well, I did this weird podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling inspired. <laughs> I, I agree. I think there's like a lot of, the, there is an escapism factor. I've also recently been rewatching super old seasons of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, oh which like yes. is a really great, like, sort of watch along while I was reading this book really dovetailed nicely. But other than the A-list, Zakia, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our SSR listeners? It's almost the holidays. People are going to have some time off. What should they be grabbing? Yes. Um, one book that uh, recently came out is called All Her Little Secrets by Wanda and Morris. It is a page turner. It's part mystery. It's about a Black woman working in corporate life um, and her white boss slash lover is murdered at work and she finds him and she has to deal with that and there are a lot of secrets and it's not a cozy mystery because there are bodies um, but it's very fun and like I inhaled it very quickly Um, so that's one book Um, I'm looking up at my bookcase right now (laughs) for other inspiration there are so many books that I loved this year Seven Days in June by Tia Williams also. Great for the holidays. It's romantic, um, but it also deals with issues of being a writer of color and also disability that you can't see. Um, The main character has really crippling migraines. I loved Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, so highly recommend. And then I would also recommend Passing by Nella Larson because the film just came out at the point of us recording this and it's a really short quick read and it's also a page turner great well i will include links to those recommendations in the show notes for this episode and i'm about to embarrass you but i personally would also recommend the other black girl for those who haven't read it to pick that up this holiday season you and i were chatting about this before we started recording but the other black girl was it just happened to be this was before you and i even connected about having you on the show uh it was the first ever pick for our Patreon book club, SWR, Shit We Read. Um, And we had so much fun talking about it. It was a great book club selection. And uh, we all just really enjoyed it. We enjoyed chatting about it. And thank you for those who haven't read it. What should they know about it? Can you tell us anything about like the process of writing it? Anything that was especially challenging? Yeah, yeah. So the other Black girl follows a young Black woman named Nella, who's been the only Black person working in a mostly white workplace for a couple of years. So her world is turned upside down, at first in a good way, she thinks, when another Black woman named Hazel starts working next to her. But Hazel has different plans, I'll just say, and Nella starts to wonder if Hazel is all that she seems. So this book follows Nella, but also follows three other Black women who are also tied to this world of publishing. And they're all tied to this very dark secret. The inspiration came from uh, my time working in book publishing as a Black person, but also just from my own experiences being the only one growing up. Like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Connecticut in a mostly white suburb. Nothing like Beverly Hills, but (laughs) definitely, you know, it was a, a middle class neighborhood. And I was very lucky and fortunate, uh, but also as the only one, I was constantly grappling with my Blackness and and who I was and where I fit in. So so a lot of Nella was inspired by me. And yeah, I mean, it was an interesting journey because this book obviously came from my experiences in publishing, but thankfully, like, nothing as crazy as what happens in this book happened to me. And it's been really great to talk about, you know, the the different parts of this book in terms of like being the only one wondering how much, you know, how much you should take in from the world as a black person with the news and with all of the the terrible things happening um, and how to take all of that in, but still continue to pursue your dreams um, as well as just like friendship and in corporate America and in generational kind of gaps as well. So, so all of that is in this book and more. 
<laughs> well, I loved it. I can't wait to see what else you write. I will have my eyes peeled for your next project. And uh, I will include a link to the other black girl in the show notes for this episode as well. Thank Listeners, you. go get a copy at bookshop.org and support indies while you're at it. Thank you so much, Zakia. It was so nice to meet you and to chat with you. So nice to meet you. Thank you. This made my week. This is so much fun. Good. Well, and it's the beginning of the week. So that I've, I'll take that as like a very good sign for the rest yeah. of your week. Starting on a high note. I, I, I'll get started on my next book, The Z List, uh, coming very soon. <laughs> I um, can't wait. We yes. will all pre-order a copy. We can, we're, <laughs> we're just ready and waiting for this. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. <laughs> take care. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>